And he ain't never going to be not able. So whatever you're going through, look up to him. Don't give up on God. Because it's amazing news that God will not give up on us. Let's pray together. Father, we do praise you because at the bottom of it all, when it's all said and done, you're able. You're able to part red seas. You're able to make the sun stand still in the sky. You're able to heal infirmed bodies, give sight to the blind, and open the mouths of the mute and the clogged ears of the deaf. You're able, Lord, to raise the dead. So God, we do confess that you're able to provide and to do whatever we need you to do. Only give us faith to believe and hearts to receive that you are who you said you are. The omnipotent God full of glory, grace, and truth. We pray that you would bless us this morning. If we, if we hold fast to nothing else this morning, let us hold fast to that simple but profound truth that we were just singing, that you're able. Give us faith, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, join me this morning in honoring Amos and Nikki and Kayla and Kaleche for leading us in praise this morning and singing to our God. And while you're in a clapping mood, let's give God thanks for um, that prayer, that rich sermon of a prayer that we heard from our brother Mubuso this morning. And give God more thanks for Ayana for reading the word and thanks for the word this morning. Let's praise God for uh, Reverend Dr. Deacon uh, Tim, uh, who's been leading us in service this morning. We give God praise for you, brother. Uh, we're going to turn our attention to God's Word this morning. If you're here this morning and you need a Bible, just raise your hands, and uh, one of the young ladies who's ushering this morning will bring you one. Uh, anyone here need a copy of God's Word? It'd be helped to follow along if you have one. Uh, it's brother here, and on your way back, Christella, there's a, a sister there with her, her hand up as well, okay? If you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. We want you to take that Bible, write your name in it, consider it yours, read it, study it, reflect on it. Um, come to know this God who is able as you look into, him, uh, look into his character in his word. Uh, again, we give God praise this morning for the news of the birth of Elizabeth Ruby Willis this morning at 1234. Praise God. We rejoice at the gift of new life. Be praying that God would write her name in the Lamb's Book of Life, even, even from a young age. And uh, Sister Jacqueline, Brother Durst, any news on the baby front for, for the granddaughter, the grandbaby? Any day now? All right. Well, we, we're looking forward to uh, the arrival of the grandbaby as well. All right. Well, any other announcements or things? I feel like we got a lot to celebrate. Yeah, Alex? All right. Well, why don't you stand up, Brother Alex? Because this is what you get paid to do. Why don't you stand up <laughs> you know, and uh, tell us what we, what we got going on back here. All the students are back. Praise God. Amen. Amen.
Amen. So I'm, I'm going to embarrass the students real quick and have them just pop up, tell us your name, your year, and what university you're at. All right? So there we go. That's right. Lead, brother. Lead them. Lead them. There we go. Lead them. Faith Family Football. There we go. All right. Amen. 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 All right, Jalen. Jalen, get back up. Get back up, because you did something interesting this summer. What'd you do this summer? All right. Amen. So tell the folks, you're publishing a book. Tell the folks what the book is about. All right. <laughs> All right. So buy Jalen's book that's coming out soon. Excellent. Amen, 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 amen. Amen, yeah, praise God. All right, all right. <laughs> Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Any others? There we go. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. So we're so glad that you guys are back and uh, back into the semester. Hope you had a, a refreshing summer, and I uh, pray that you'd have an even more refreshing uh, semester this year. We'd, we're glad that you're here. You guys bring us encouragement in life, and we miss you when you're gone. Uh, so come on back. And next week, sit back down here front like y'all used to. Uh, I feel like y'all, I'm preaching to the Red Sea here. Y'all, come on back up front. All right, you got your Bibles turned to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, and as you're turning there, I'm going to offer again a, just a brief word of prayer. Father, we come to listen to you now, to hear from you and your word. Give us a sense of desperation. Give us a sense of anticipation. Holy Spirit, you're the one who inspired the word. You're the one who opens our minds to understand the word. You're the one who conforms us to Christ by the word. So, Spirit, we pray, show us Jesus. Show us yourself. Give us wisdom and strength to, Lord, live as you would have us to live. Make the word alive, we pray. And by it, build up your church and add to it, we ask. Bless your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we come to the end of our sermon series, which we titled Being the Church. Uh, in this morning's sermon, what we want to do is try and round out the series by gathering up some thoughts uh, on the way toward application. We want to put into practice what we've been thinking about from God's word. It may be helpful just to give a reminder of some of the ground that we've covered so far. Uh, in the first part of the series, the first five sermons, we were trying to give a kind of basic theology of the church. The first thing that we said is that the church is God's people in God's place on God's program. 
God has redeemed for himself a people from every tribe and nation and language, and he's taken us somewhere. He's taken us to that new heavens and new earth, to that new kingdom, the new Jerusalem that he has promised. And on the way, he's given us a program. He's given us a mission to reach others for his namesake. And then we thought about the church as the spiritual body of Christ. That every member who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ is not just floating out there by themselves unattached, But what the Bible teaches is every member is actually joined to Jesus spiritually through faith, and we are joined to each other just like the various parts of our body make up one body. And so we are spiritually united, which means that we are oriented now not just to ourselves, but we are oriented to each other. There's a we here that's fundamentally as or more important as the me And then we saw that Jesus himself is the the sole and sufficient head of the church. So many of us could be many different kinds of body parts except one. There's only one head, and that's Jesus. And that means that he's the one who rules this church, and it means he's the one from whom we get our life. And we are growing up into him as the head, Ephesians tells us. From there, we heard two sermons on leadership and on congregationalism. So we moved from thinking about our vertical relationship with God to beginning to think about our horizontal relationship with each other, uh, giving attention to those two roles, if you will, leader and member. We traced the book of Acts to sort of see how the various offices in the book of Acts came into being before settling the focus on pastors, deacons, and prophets try to give some attention to the qualifications for those roles, and and to sort of point out that that what is being formed in the New Testament is an egalitarian community with regard to our worth and gifting, but also a communitarian community with regard to our needs and sharing with one another, but also a complementarian community with regard to the leadership roles in the church which brought us to the issue of congregationalism. That is how the church is ruled. And we tried to show from Scripture that the church is led by the leaders, but governed by the body. That is, the leaders are kind of out front, shepherding in a particular direction, but especially in matters of membership and discipline, in the calling of leaders, uh, and in a, a variety of practical areas, it is the congregation that has responsibility for the final say-so. Now, all that's been kind of theological ecclesiology, and then what we try to do in the second part of the series is to then say, well, what does this look like? How, how should this feel? What, what, what should this focus on? Is it, is it ethereal and misty, and, or is it individualized and so on? Well, no. And to show that, we tried to focus on several passages in the Bible where we get commands to do various things with one another. So we started with the command to love one another. Then we considered the idea of accepting one another, especially when our consciences disagree and in areas of Christian liberty. We went from loving one another and accepting one another to exhorting or encouraging one another and trying to do that more and more as the day of Jesus' return comes close to us. 
We thought fourthly about forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven us. If we are Christians, that means that all of our sin, all of our dirt, all of our wrongdoing, all of it has been nailed to the cross with Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died for it and paid the penalty for it so that we, through him, might be forgiven, declared righteous, and reconciled to God. And in the same way that we have been forgiven by God through Christ, we're meant to forgive each other. We thought then about serving one another. We talked about not grumbling against one another. Until last week, we thought about the fact that we're actually in a competition to outdo one another in showing honor. So those were some of the one another passages. There are many more in the Bible that we gave attention to. You might wish to go back and listen to this series of sermons uh, again. you find them all online at our website or our SoundCloud account. For our purposes this morning, I want us to focus on something that's necessary in all of this. Whether we're talking about continuing in the faith, in the body of Christ, or whether we are talking about the practice of leadership and congregationalism, or whether we're talking about the, the various one another's, some of which we have considered, others are uh, in the Bible that we haven't looked at. I want to suggest to you in this concluding sermon that one necessary ingredient we have at every level, that we need at every level, is endurance. It's endurance. If we're going to be the church, we're going to have to endure in faith, endure in relationship with Christ and each other, and endure in what God has called us to be and do as a congregation. We're going to have to finish the race. And to consider this, we turn to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 to 39. If you're new to the Bible, when you hear me say the chapter number, that's the big number on the page, Hebrews chapter 10, big number. And we're going to be considering verses 32 to 39. And when you hear me give you a verse number, that's the small number on the page. So Hebrews 10, big number, beginning in verse 32, small number. And I want to read that text for us and then give us the outline for the sermon this morning. Hebrews 10, verse 32. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, My soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Two questions to consider from the text this morning. Number one, what is the secret of endurance? What is the secret of endurance? And number two, 
How do we apply that secret to being the church? How do we apply that secret to being the church? Uh, The writer of Hebrews has one overarching pastoral concern for his readers. He's concerned that some of them are quitting the Christian race in order to turn back to their former way of life, their former life in Judaism. He wants to convince them that they have the greater thing in Christ. And in turning back to Judaism, in turning back to the law, they are turning back to the old lesser thing which cannot save them. He wants them to keep going in the faith. He wants them to endure. You might consider Hebrews 10, verses 32 to 39, as a kind of text that breaks down for us the the secret of endurance. It has three parts or three movements. Here's Here's the secret of enduring in the faith, enduring in the church, enduring in hardships according to God's word. Number one, the first part of the secret is remember past faithfulness in hard times. Remember past faithfulness In hard times. We see that in verses 32 to 34. Look there again with me. But recall the former days. When after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, plural. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so exposed or so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and abiding one. So the main idea in verse 32 is this. Recall the former days when you endured a hard struggle with suffering. The command is to recall. Remembering, beloved, is a really important spiritual discipline. It's an important command throughout the scriptures. So in the Old Testament, God says things like this to Israel. Now, when you get in the land, don't forget me. And here in the New Testament, he's saying to the church, recall the former days. Now, recall the former days, particularly the days when you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. That's a striking phrase for me. The writer has him look back at their history. He says that your sufferings were plural. They were many and they were diverse. Wasn't like you just had one bad day. Uh, Sometimes it was like being Job. The the bad things and the bad news just kept coming. Uh, You suffered in this way and you suffered in that way and you suffered in some new ways you didn't even know people suffered in. And then he says this now, you had a hard struggle with the sufferings. You were suffering because you were suffering. You you had a hard time in your own heart dealing with the sufferings. Why me, Lord? Aren't you good, Lord? Where you at, Lord? Did you forget me, Lord? Do you love me, Lord? You, You were struggling even as you were suffering. The pain was coming from outside and inside. And he says, now, I want you to remember those days. Anybody ever been through something? Had a hard time with something? Faced a tough situation? And you weren't just struggling with the situation, you were struggling with yourself in the situation. 
That's what he's talking about right here. Now notice now, this hard struggle with sufferings, notice when it came. (laughs) It was after you were enlightened. Enlightened there is another way of talking about salvation. We were dead in sin. We were lost in darkness. And the miracle of Christianity is that God flipped the light on for us. God God opened our eyes so that we could see ourselves in our sin. And God opened our eyes so that we could see Jesus in his glory. And, And we came to understand that I need to stop living like this in my sin and start living for Christ in faith and that this is the enlightened way to live, not the way of darkness and the way of sin, but the the way of Jesus and the kingdom. And so they were converted. They were raised from death to life. They were brought out of darkness into the light of God's kingdom and his son, and that's when they started suffering. Now, you see that in the verse, right? So don't believe the television preacher when he tells you that if you follow Jesus, your life just going to be roses. Believe the Bible, not the preacher, including this preacher. If I don't show it to you in the text, you have no obligation to believe it. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing, beloved. Christianity will not always be easy. Following Jesus will include suffering. But as we're going to see, it's worth it. It's worth it. Now, what he's doing here spiritually is redirecting them to a time as Christians where they were suffering and they were having a hard time even in the midst of the suffering. We live in a day when people tell us that, again, if you you follow Jesus, you're just going to have your best life. I believe God is good and I believe he blesses his people. But I also believe that our best life doesn't always look like our easy life, our comfortable life. So Christianity is your best life. And it does begin now. And it will get better on the day of Christ. But it may not be easy. And so these hard times, though, have a spiritual purpose. Now, notice what's happening. What they need to do is remember that when they became Christians, they began to have these struggles and sufferings, and and they shouldn't think that's strange because Peter, the apostle, writes, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. I need to look back at that, not know it's strange, but, but know that it's a part of the secret for endurance. In other words, what they need to remember is they made it. They got through. God brought them through. Yes, they suffered, and yes, they struggled. But there they stood. There they were. God's people still. Notice now, the, the, the suffering was from outside and inside. He says that you are endured against being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. In other words, because they were Christians, there were people in the world who hated them because they were Christians. Talk bad about them, reproached them, afflicted them, attacked them. And then notice the second thing. Sometimes they suffer because they stood in solidarity with other Christians. There were people who were imprisoned. They weren't in prison, but you know what? They said, those my brothers and sisters. I'm going to stand with them. And so they had their possessions taken. They, they were plundered. They, they were robbed because in the ancient world, if you showed up in the jail cell to, to visit folks, they, that you could have things taken from you. 
And they said, you know what? Better for me to stand with my brother and sister in their suffering and lose all I have in this world because I got a world that's coming with a far better possession, a far greater reward. That's how they reasoned in their suffering. And so now, having endured in the past, they can reach back to it for encouragement in the present. We want to apply this not only to our Christian faith, see, doing this text, but specifically to being a church and the one another passages. We need to endure in practicing what we have heard these last several eight weeks. We need to endure in the practicing of the one another passages. And part of how we do that is we look back to when that was hard and we did it anyway, and we draw confidence from that past success. So think of a time when one another was difficult for you, maybe even brought you suffering. That person joined the church, and you knew when they started visiting, y'all was going to have some problems. You knew them from way back when. That argument still ain't over. And you thought, oh, Lord, I'm going to have to keep covenant with this person. <laughs> I'm going to have to love them, you know. Or, or, or think about a situation in your Christian past where you became a Christian and you began to suffer because someone was sinning against you. I, I mean sinning against you. And it hurt. And it wounded you. It might have even turned you off from the church. So that you pull back from Christ, you pull back from the church, from Christian people, you pull back from fellowship, and then you come to the Bible, and the Bible says, forgive one another. And you're like, Lord, that's going to be hard. Think back to a time when one of those one another's was difficult for you, and you did it. You forgave deeply from the heart. You honored and showed honor to someone that you maybe disliked. You loved someone that was so really unlike you and sometimes unlovable. Think back to that time and that success, and you'll be receiving God's grace for endurance. Because it means very simply, if God brought you through before, he's able to bring you through again. Now, here's the challenge with our memories. I think most of us have rather faulty memories. And, and I think they're faulty in this way. That never does the Bible tell us to look back on our Christian lives and meditate on our failures. But that's often what we do. When things get hard, we, our mind goes to those evidences that tell us that it's too hard. Or, or we look up and we find ourselves struggling with something again, and, and our mind goes to, well, I've struggled with this before, and never mind the fact that God has brought you through it, you've actually triumphed over it, you've endured. What the mind goes to oftentimes is how hard it was and how, 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 how big a struggle it was, not to the grace of God that helped you endure. 
So for this to work as it seems to be designed to work here in Hebrews, we have to sort of send our minds back with the intentional effort to find the grace of God that caused us to endure. Forget your failings and remember Christ's successes in your life. Remember the former days. That's step one to the secret. Here's step two. Hold your present confidence. Hold on to confidence. See that there in verse 35? Therefore, do not throw away your confidence. Confidence refers to the practical, lived-out faith that comes from past endurance. Whenever we successfully complete something God calls us to, it should be building for us in the present confidence. I did this before. I can do this again. I've seen this before. God brought me through. Not just in my life. I'm not the first one to face this. There's no temptation that's come to me that's not common to man. And so I look out on other of God's people, and I've seen them go through this. I've seen them face this. I've seen them go through this. And now let me draw confidence that God will do this for me again. Right now. Don't throw away your confidence. Again, that's the problem with looking back on your life and only rehearsing your, your struggles and your faults and your foibles all the while is eating away your confidence. It's eating away your faith. It's eating away your trust in God. So when you look back, look to the successes and then bring those successes forward and parlay them into confidence, into hope, into trust in God. Uh, if you work out or lift weights, you know how this works. On one day, you're lifting weights that you can lift. And you get to the point where 10 reps at whatever, 175 pounds, you're you good. Well, you do that for a couple days, but you can't do that forever because your muscles won't grow. So next week, you come in the gym, you're doing chest Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you, you, you do one set of 175, and then you add 10 pounds to the bar. So you're going to say, I'm going to do 185, and by Friday, you're going to try and max out. I'm going to max out at 225 today for six reps. You're sort of adding weight to the bar to increase muscle strength. You're adding resistance to increase endurance so that you grow stronger. Well, remembering past success is a lot like that. You're just putting weights on the bar that make you stronger. You're just adding things to the bar that, that, that help you sort of break through the next level of resistance. And so you're more confident. When you've maxed out at 225, you come back to 175, you're like, this is my warm-up. At least that's what they tell me. <laughs> But imagine if you began to do 225 as a regular set of 10. That's not your max out weight anymore. You, you had 225. But every time you came to the gym, you're like, I, I ain't even sure I can lift 135. What sense would that make? You're repping at 225, but you're like, uh, 135, man, I don't know, man. That, that looked like a lot. That's crazy. That's throwing away your confidence. And we approach the spiritual life like that sometimes. God got us maxing out at 225, and we look at 135, and we melt. Do not throw away your confidence. God has brought you thus far. He will bring you further still. 
In fact, he will bring you safely home. Believe in him. Trust in him. Hold fast to him. Don't throw away your hope. I love this thought from Ray Ortland Jr. Wonderful little book he wrote where he says this in part. Do not think to yourself, I have God's spirit, but I also have problems. So what difference does the spirit make? Instead, think, I have problems, but I also have the Holy Spirit, therefore I have hope. God's presence in our lives is the decisive difference. It's a decisive factor. Yes, we got problems. We, we began to suffer uniquely when we became Christians, but, but we also have God in our lives at work, and because of him and because of his enlightenment, we endure. We hold fast to our confidence. We want to think, I've done this before. When it was hard, I can do this now by God's grace through faith. So let me invite you, whatever is your struggle with ARC this morning, whatever is your struggle with being a part of the church, whatever is your struggle with some relationships in the church when it comes to the one another's, let me invite you to remember when you've had that struggle before, to remember past victories in that struggle, and to lay hold to confidence that God is with you. And not just with you, he's with the person that you're looking at and you're dealing with. And he's in work in all of our lives. And let me invite you to hope in God and to hope in the work of his grace. Don't just rehearse your grievances. As we heard a, a couple of weeks ago from Pastor Dennis, we don't grumble against one another. Rehearse the victories. Train your mind to focus on the grace of God and his provision for us. And you will find that you always have reason to praise God because he's always at work to preserve us. First step, look back. Remember your victories in past struggles. Second step, look down. Look at your present and hold fast to the faith that you have. Hold fast to your confidence. Third step, look forward. Look forward to the future reward, the reward that's to come. If we only see the present, and the present is one of suffering or hardship, then we won't endure, beloved. The present will look as like, like it's going to go on forever. Thinking that we'll always suffer and things will never change. That kind of thinking will discourage you, won't it, beloved? But that thought is not true for the Christian. However bad it is for the Christian, it ain't always going to be that way. It ain't always going to be suffering. Weeping may endure for a night, but what? Joy comes in the morning. And that's why we have to look to our future. Notice how this works in the text. Look at verse 34. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Why? since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. They endured suffering because or since they knew the, the promise of the future was glorious and unshakable. They said, take my stuff now because I, I have some stuff coming that can't be taken. Or, or look with me in verse 35. 
Therefore, do not throw away your confidence. Why? Which has a great reward. It has a great reward. That present confidence and hope and faith that we express in the midst of suffering now or enduring in what God calls us to be as a church, that's going to be rewarded, beloved. It's not something you do today and is wasted today. It's not something you do today and it has no sort of impact or material change. No, God's going to crown that life. He's going to bless that life. He's going to reward that life both in time and glory. So they look forward to a great reward. The difference between New Age positive thinking and Christianity is that at the end, in new age positive thinking, all you're left with is your thoughts, which may or may not be connected with reality. But in Christianity, you can be very real about your sufferings, very real about how hard it is to go through them, and have hope, and in the end, because of endurance and faith, have a great reward. So we're not just talking about mental gymnastics here. We're talking about the kind of faith that pleases God, which God rewards, which God honors. See it one more time in our text. Consider verses 36 to 39. For you have need of endurance. It says it real plainly right there, doesn't it? You know what you need? You need endurance. So that when you have done the will of God, there you could put the one another's. When you have done the will of God, You may receive what is promised for yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So we need to endure in obedience so that we receive the promises of God for obedience. Verse 37 tells us Jesus is coming again. He he will not delay. Nobody's going to hold him up. He ain't stuck in traffic. He's going to get here at the appointed time. And guess what, beloved? His second coming is closer now than it's ever been before. Every day we're getting closer. Every day his coming is dawning. Every day the light of that new day is breaking into the darkness of this world. He is coming. He's on his way. And that's what we are looking up to away from our sufferings. We're looking from our sufferings up to the sun, anticipating that day of his return, because when he returns, he's going to reward us. He brings our great reward with him. But we cannot and will not receive the reward unless we endure. Unless we endure in the will of God. We understand this. We can't win a race unless we what? Cross the finish line. Look out and see my sister Christina daughter. She'll be running marathons and triathlons and all kind of Iron Man competition, Iron Woman competition. She's so cute, loves Southern accent. She'd be like, you ought to come out sometimes. You're going to kill me out there. You go ahead. I respect you. Big ups. <laughs> and she will tell you that it's finishing the race that brings the prize. You can run that 26 miles in a marathon, I think it's 26 miles, and you can come and finish five steps, stop, stop by the finish line, five steps before the finish line. Guess what? You don't get no ribbon for coming within five steps. 
You got to cross the line. You got to hit the tape. And so it is with the Christian life. We don't shrink back. We lean into it. We lean into faith. We persevere. We endure. We keep going until we cross the line and receive the reward that Christ has prepared for us. So we have need of endurance in faith, in communion with Christ, in fellowship with each other, in obedience to the will of God, so that we receive that great reward on the day that Jesus Christ comes for his church. The secret to endurance is looking back to past faithfulness so we can hold on to our confidence in the present while looking forward to the reward that's coming. Which brings us to our second question. How do we apply this now to our life together as a church? How do we apply this to being the church and the one another passages? As the text says here, every Christian has need of endurance in the will of God. And the will of God includes all that we've been studying over these last several weeks. Whether it's uh, continuing in faith and union with Christ or whether it's the one another passages, these are all part of God's will for our lives. But we will forget or get distracted from the Father's will unless we have a plan for enduring in it. Endurance doesn't happen by wishful thinking. Doesn't occur by osmosis. It takes effort. It takes looking back, holding on, and looking forward. And that's what I want to outline for us real quickly by way of application. I just won't be doing all your application for you. This will be giving you some prompts and giving you an encouragement to go away this afternoon on the Lord's Day, to go away this week in your quiet time, to go away over the next month and the rest of your Christian life thinking about how do we persevere? How do we endure in the things that God has called us to? And how do we endure specifically in the community, in the church that the Lord has called us to? So same three steps. Let me give you some thoughts for application. Looking back to past faithfulness. Here's what you might do. For each of the one another passages, identify some past successes. Journal it. Write them down. Create a bullet list or write a a testimony. And listen, remember past successes in the Christian life is not bragging or boasting. Except boasting in the Lord. Boasting in His grace. It is building a monument to God's work in your life. Have you ever heard the phrase building an Ebenezer? First, this Old Testament sort of situation in 1 Samuel where Israel, in a place uh, called Ebenezer, built, built these stones together, call it an Ebenezer. It's a monument to God's work in their lives. Grow in the practice of building Ebenezers, of stacking stones, of creating monuments of God's past faithfulness, especially in hard situations, in struggles and difficulties. Now, perhaps you say, I don't have a past record for this or that, one another. I I look up and I look at, do not grumble against one another, and I don't feel like I've succeeded at that, or I look up and love one another, and I'm I'm struggling to love. I'm looking back at my past, Pastor T, I ain't got no long record. Well, then start today. In the future, today will be your past. Let me say it again. Y'all missed it. In the future, 
Today will be your past. Start building a record today. Commit yourself afresh. If you're in a current struggle, it feels like a new struggle, feels like a new hardship for you, okay, just say to yourself, God's about to start building my history. God's about to start building my past record of success and faithfulness in the midst of struggle. Commit yourself to hope and persevere. So journal, take note, write testimony, remember that spiritual discipline, recall God's grace. Number two, and then let's think about a couple ways to hold on to confidence now. Remember, the purpose of looking back is for confidence now to draw strength from our past so we don't shrink back. Now, because many of us don't really remember our past successes, part of, part of what we need is fellowship. I mean, one of the things about struggle is it, it really does, if it really hurts, it, it really will tempt you either to look away from God or to look to God. It'll make you bitter or better, right? Now, if it's making you better, praise God. But if it's making you bitter, such that your eyes are taken away from God and your eyes are taken away from his past faithfulness, part of what you need is fellowship. And part of what you need is the kind of fellowship with people who will tell you about yourself, about your past, not your failings, not your sins, and, and, and they're not Job's friends, but these are going to be people who say, you, you probably have forgotten this, but I remember five years ago when you were struggling with this, that, or the other, man, you were trusting the Lord and, and walking faithfully. You took some hard steps of faith. No, beloved, you've seen the Lord work in hard things. We need to be the kind of community that exhorts one another in that way that speaks to people who, for whatever reason, may be unable to see God's grace, speaks to them words of grace. And and we keep a record for each other of past faithfulness. So part of what we need to do to hold on is to be with people who help us hold on, who encourage us in keeping our confidence. Notice, that's actually what's happening in the text. When the writer of Hebrews says in verse 32, recall the former days, he's helping them remember. They have forgotten. They have forgotten so bad, they're tempted to turn away from Jesus. He's like, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I've seen you stand with Jesus. I've seen you stand with Jesus when you were suffering for your own testimony, and I've seen you stand with other people when they were suffering for the testimony of Christ. We need each other in this, beloved. And we need the kind of fellowship with each other where we're focused on the victories we have in Christ, not where we're focused on belittling each other or undermining confidence or weakening testimony. So a couple of ideas. Write down the name of three to five people at ARC to whom you will point out evidence of past faithfulness with the one another passages and encourage them to hold on. Now, you might want to go back and listen to the sermons again. And while you listen this time, don't think about yourself individually. Think about the body. Listen with your membership directory in front of you. Is flipping through. See who the Lord directs your heart to. 
and, and, and think uh, of, of what comes to mind about that person and their endurance through hardship and, and jot down a note and, and send them a note of encouragement just to keep on keeping on. The whole fast of Christ, reminding them of that past faithfulness. So here's another idea. Honor someone publicly. Talking publicly about the faithfulness of someone else is a great way to honor each other, to outdo each other. In September, Lord willing, we're going to start including testimonies more often in our morning services. Uh, You may be a little timid about giving a testimony about yourself. It feels too self-centered, too self-focused or some such thing. Uh, We'll talk about somebody else. Come up, share a testimony about Brother Mubuso or share a testimony about Sister Jasmine. Talk about the ways in which you've seen faith demonstrated in Kylie's life and how that's encouraged you. Talk about the ways in which you've seen faith demonstrated in the marriage of Erika and Angelo and how that's been a blessing to you. Honor others. Let's build a culture simultaneously of honoring one another and helping each other endure by the word of our testimony. Here's a third idea. Exhort someone personally and privately. I know you know this. But we have members who are struggling in various ways, various ways. For example, we have some members struggling to attend services each week, for whatever reason. And not necessarily in some deep sin, though some may be. Sometimes the first indication that someone's drawn away from sin is that they're drawn away from God's people. Sometimes they're just dull spiritually. Things are just kind of dry and they need to be exhorted. So, so think of someone who seems like they could use some encouragement to keep going, to hold on, to connect with God and his people. Go exhort them. Take them a word of encouragement to endure. Maybe read this very section of scripture to them and say, I, I thought of you and I'm praying for you. I just want to encourage you to hold fast to your confidence. Or maybe there's another passage that seems really appropriate to their lives and, and the spirit brings that to mind. Any text is fine. The point is to exhort someone, encourage them to keep going, to look to their reward. We need each other if we're going to endure. Christianity is a team sport, not a solo sport. We're all trying to cross the finish line. We should be trying to cross together, not losing anyone. Third thing then, look forward to the reward to come. Every Christian is a futurist. A futurist is someone who studies the future. They make predictions about the future usually based on trends and facts. Usually the the futurist in the secular sense is is thinking about things happening on earth and, and, and things happening in the world of men. But the Christian is a little bit of a different kind of futurist. We don't need trends on earth to tell us about what's going to happen. We have the word of God to tell us exactly where things are going. Or more precisely, who's coming. We are meant to be oriented toward that day, the day of Christ's return. And from that, beloved, we ought to have a kind of expectancy. I think that's why the the notion of reward appears almost every two verses in this text. 
right? The, the writer is sort of saying, listen, your life is not for nothing. Your faith is not for nothing. Your effort, your struggle, your investment, your hardship, your setbacks, they are not for nothing. Paul says in Romans that, that our afflictions, our sufferings are producing for us an exceeding weight and glory, that, that our momentary and light afflictions are not worthy to be compared to that exceeding glory which shall be revealed in us in the day of Christ. So we had to look out to our reward because that's what keeps telling us our life is not for nothing, that our life is significant, that God is involved in our life, that God is noting the things that are happening in our lives. Those small acts of obedience somewhere obscure where nobody else sees them, God sees them. Those sacrifices and and those sufferings that, that only you seem to be aware of, God's aware of them too. Every way in which you feel a sense of temptation in your heart, but you say no to the flesh and you say yes to Christ, where most of the church would never even know, Jesus knows. And every action of sacrifice, every act of faith, every obedience, every, every commitment, small and great, is laying up for you, beloved, a reward in the kingdom of Christ. We have to anticipate it. We have to have an expectancy about it. There's nothing that kind of saps us of spiritual energy quite like living like we ain't going nowhere. And ain't nobody or nothing waiting on us. We have a Father in heaven and a Savior who's waiting on us and has prepared a place for us. And it was promised to bring us to it where we might enjoy him forever. And looking forward to that day is looking forward to consummation. There are only two relationships in all the Bible that are ever said to be consummated. One is the relationship between a a husband and his wife. On the night of their marriage, they consummate their union. It is a spiritual joining together as one flesh. It is a, a fellowship and an intimacy that is unique in all of human existence. That's one relationship. The other relationship that's said to be consummated is the relationship between Christ and his people. It is a spiritual consummation where we are joined together with him finally and forever, never to be separated from him again to see him with our eyes and, and not just by faith, to know as even as we have been known, to speak with him and to dine with him, to, to sup with him in his kingdom. And in that kingdom is no more sin. There's no more struggle. There's no more hardship. There's no death. There's no disease. In that kingdom, we, we will only weep when we walk into heaven because when we walk into his presence, the Bible says he's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. So all of our crying, all of our pain will be forever and finally past tense. Hallelujah. The Bible says in his presence, there's pleasure, there's joy forevermore. 
So, so to, to be consummated together in the final kingdom of Christ, when he comes again to gather his bride, to end this world as we know it, and to renew all things, will be, will be to be brought into the fullest, most perfect expression and experience of joy that there is. Joy without pain. Sunshine without rain. Some of y'all know that, run. Some of y'all know that, run. It will be everything perfect and nothing fallen. This is what we're living for. This is what we're looking for. To no longer be touched by sadness, sorrow, depression, trauma, pain. We'll no longer sin or even desire or even be tempted to sin. We'll no longer age, get sick, die. Those are all part of the old order of things which are passing away. The permanent world will involve a permanent life of permanent joy, of permanent pleasure, of a permanent relationship with God in a permanent state of glory together with Christ. We're going to be with our Savior. <laughs> That's going to be indescribable. So, beloved, we have need of endurance. Look back to past faithfulness in hard times. Let that inspire confidence today and look forward to the great reward that you will receive and I will receive as we obey Christ in all that he's called us to do and be as this church. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would help us to endure. Indeed, Lord, we pray that you would preserve us, that you would keep us until the end, that you would carry us across the finish line in your omnipotent hands. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would give us grace to endure together as a church, to endure for the reward that is before us, to endure in our relationship and fellowship as the body of Christ, and that together, Lord, we would be building a monument of praise and of testimony as we recall your, your past acts of grace in our lives. We would not be here if it were not for your grace. Uh, we would not be here if you had not been giving us victories in our hardships and struggles. And so we praise you. And we ask, O oh Lord, that you would make us to be the church, be the church that you would have us to be according to your word, and that we would endure with you and endure with each other until we receive the reward. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.